The Window on the World, an international press review by the European Democratic Party, bringing you weekly news and commentaries that matter. Hello again and welcome to the fourth episode, The Window on the World. Today is Friday, 1st of April, and no, I'm not kidding. In this podcast, you will find out more about the latest updates on the war in Ukraine, the EU Justice and Home Affairs Minister's Summit, the economic consequences of the conflict in Eastern Europe, the elections in Hungary and France, and as always, we will present you the best editorials and opinion pieces on the geopolitical consequences of the Ukrainian war and its effects on the world economy. And now let's dive right into the most important news of the week. Our first update is inevitably on the war in Ukraine. News broke yesterday morning that a ceasefire has come into effect in the city of Mariupol. During the ceasefire, a humanitarian corridor will remain open for the evacuation of civilians. And the number of refugees continues to grow. And according to UNHCR, as of today, more than 4 million people have been forced to leave Ukraine. The issue of refugee reception was also the focus of a meeting between EU justice and interior ministers held earlier this week. During the meeting, a 10-point plan was approved. The plan establishes the creation of an EU-wide registration system for Ukrainian refugees. Another point of the plan aims to improve transport coordination to help move between countries. Talking about refugees moving from one country to another, this week The Guardian published UK visa rules are to ensure Ukrainians don't come to Britain, say refugees. The article cites a Ukrainian refugee frustrated by the English red tape. According to the report, in order for a refugee to be accepted in the UK, it is necessary that a British citizen acts as a sponsor. And according to refugees interviewed by The Guardian, none of them know any British citizens, which makes it impossible for them to apply for a visa to enter the country. Now let's take a look at the economic consequences of the war across Europe. The conflict also triggered an energy crisis that has caused inflation to soar. The two European countries most affected by the increase in prices are Germany and Spain, where the increase has reached levels not seen for 40 years. In particular, over the past year, prices in Germany rose by almost 8%, while in Spain they increased by almost 10%. And how are these two countries reacting to the economic and energy crisis? Germany is one of the European countries most dependent on Russia for gas imports. Therefore, the German Minister of the Economy, Robert Habeck, has launched an emergency plan to ration gas consumption and has invited citizens and companies to greatly reduce its use as well. Meanwhile, in Spain, the government has proposed a national plan to tackle the crisis. The plan includes various measures to protect consumers and businesses, such as a discount of 20 cents per liter of fuel, a ban of layoffs for reasons related to rising energy costs, a ban on raising utility bills, and limits on rent increases. First Vice President and Minister of the Economy, Nadia Carvino, expressed confidence that the majority of political parties, including the opposition popular party, will support the plan. Let's talk about something else now. This Sunday, Hungarian citizens are called to the ballot box to elect a new parliament and prime minister. According to a report by the International Press Institute, state media in Hungary are the government's megaphone and a permanent campaign tool. Also, the NGO claims that the 
state funding for private media is almost entirely devoted to those who support the incumbent government. Another issue concerns ballot counters. Several Hungarian civil society organizations have recruited altogether more than 20,000 volunteers to ensure that there will be no irregularities in the counting of ballots. According to many supporters of the opposition parties, ballots are often counted without the presence of representatives of the opposition. In France, instead, the first round of vote to elect the new president of the republic is set for April 24th. A report published this month revealed that the government of current President Emmanuel Macron spent millions of euros in consulting by the American firm McKinsey. The document highlighted that the McKinsey was paid 4 million euros for a consultancy related to the reform of housing benefits. Another 12 million were allegedly paid for a consultancy on the management of vaccination campaigns. In addition to receiving millions of euros from the government, the consulting firm seems to not have paid any taxes on French territory, despite its turnover reaching 329 million in 2020. Instead, an important election took place in the German region Saarland. Chancellor Olaf Scholz, SPD, the Social Democratic Party, obtained a stunning 43.5% of votes. This is the first time since 1999 that the SPD has won in the region, which had been under control of the CDU, the Christian and Democratic Union Party, for more than 20 years. Now let's move on to the South borders of Europe and land in Malta, where a vote to elect the parliament and the prime minister was held on March 26th. Despite the corruption scandal that led to the resignation of the former prime minister Joseph Muscat, his party, the Labour Party, won with 55% of the preferences. The new party leader, Robert Abella, will therefore become the new prime minister. And last but not least, here are the latest news on COVID-19. In almost every European country, restrictions such as masks and green passes are being lifted. Nonetheless, although with less intensity, COVID still continues to circulate. According to research by Oxford University, in the last week of March, nearly 7,000 people died from the coronavirus across Europe. We now move on to some of the best commentaries from around the world. In our first opinion editorial selection of the day, we focus on the geopolitical consequences of the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. We begin from the pages of the Wall Street Journal, where Jakub Grigiel, a professor at the Catholic University of America, wrote an article titled Ukraine War Shows the Rules-Based International Order is a Myth. The Biden administration has been vocal in defending what it calls the rules-based international order, but there is no such thing, argues the professor. For Grigiel, we should rather focus at the global geopolitical order from a regional perspective. We will then notice that the balances are more fragile for two reasons. The first is that people are more likely to use military force to achieve their goals. The second reason is that local rivalries are based on historical claims, so regional conflicts last longer. As a result, according to the professor, the war between Russia and Ukraine will eventually end, but not the rivalry between the two nations. Should Ukraine survive as an independent state, 
Street, the new scenario will therefore not be a renewed world order, but rather a temporary period of a regional order. And since we're already talking about the regional order, let's turn to the Spanish newspaper El País. According to Mark Leonard, director of the European Council on International Relations for Europe, the current crisis is not just a security crisis, it is a philosophical crisis. In rethinking the order of the continent, according to Leonard, European leaders will need to address several questions. First, where should the borders of Europe and NATO be, asks the editor who goes on to speculate whether Europe is ready for a regional order based on a balance of power rather than laws and institutions, and whether it has a political foundation on which to build economic and social resilience. The last big question is whether Europe is part of a regional or global order, Leonard writes. He ends with the following reflection, European leaders will have to reconcile the world they want to live in with the one imposed on them by Putin in order to maintain the Kantian values of perpetual peace within the EU while defending it from external threats. A new balance in Europe also means a new balance in the relative influence EU member states have on international matters. In an article published by German newspaper Süddeutsche Zeitung, journalist Josef Kenberger argues that Germany is not playing its typical leading role in managing the Ukraine crisis. Germany is not leading and is giving way to other nations such as France. The cause for Kenberger would be Germany's over-dependence on Russian gas and oil supplies, which prevented from imposing the ultimate sanction, a ban on fossil fuel imports. The journalist then concludes by explaining that in order to return to its role as Europe's leading country, in the long run, a strong army and the supply of renewable energy must become part of Germany's identity and lead the way when new sanctions are imposed instead of being pushed aside. If the geopolitical consequences of the conflict are evident, the economic ones should not be underestimated. This is the theme of the second round of today's opinion editorial selection. The war is negatively affecting the world's economies, and these consequences are not necessarily directly linked to the fossil fuel trade. Let's start from the pages of the German newspaper Der Spiegel. The new Eastern Bloc will collapse like the previous one dominated by the Soviet Union. This is the prediction of Henrik Müller, professor of economic journalism at the Technical University of Dortmund. Globalization proceeds in long cycles. The question is, when will the next one begin and what will happen until then, writes Müller. The current world economic order led by the United States and Western-style international organizations has been losing ground for years. Forces opposed to integration, free trade and the free flow of information have become stronger even in the West. For the journalist, there is no doubt that the West is superior in every way to its competitors, but it cannot simply wait for the collapse of the new bloc. While waiting for its eastern rivals to collapse, the West should do everything possible to limit the destructive potential of autocracies. Globalization is also the topic of the article titled Unfortunate Deglobalization which appeared in the French newspaper Le Figaro. The deglobalization caused by the new Iron Curtain on the Russian border will be a big problem for the West, writes journalist Bertie Bayat. Although Russian GDP is equivalent to 62% of France's, Bayat points out sanctions have excluded a huge nation from international trade. But more than Russian GDP, what matters is the trade in raw materials that the Eurasian country used to engage in with the rest of the world. We will have to 
manage three types of shortages worldwide energy resources, agriculture, raw materials, and metals, warns Baya, who concludes by arguing that it will be more important to rethink the interdependence between countries rather than independence. And now we move on to Southern Europe, more precisely to Spain. According to an article published on El Diario, written by its deputy director Esther Palomera, we will be much poorer after the war has ended. This grim forecast by Palomera serves as a warning to Spain's Prime Minister Pedro Sánchez, who, according to the journalist, is using rhetoric to avoid openly talking about the hard times ahead. It is up to the Prime Minister to take the initiative in Spain, as he did at the European Council last weekend argues Palomera. She also calls on the opposition party, the People's Party, to set aside quarrels and sectarianism and joint forces by voting in favor of the proposed national war response plan intended to counter the effects of the war weighing on people's wallets. And we are at the end of our fourth episode, The Window on the World. But before finishing up, I just kindly want to remind you that the economic impact from the war in Ukraine in the short and medium term will be the main topic of the next meeting of the Eurogroup finance ministers. This summit will be held next Monday, and we will discuss all of this in our next episode. Research and writing for this episode was done by Daniela Ruzza, and behind the mic, it's me, your host, Alexandra Rapanich. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next time, take care and goodbye.